Oh, and welcome to the Rubber Duck Dev Show. I'm Chris. I'm Creston. And I'm Ernesto. And tonight we get to pick the brain of a code quality expert. I'm really excited about this one. This is like one of my favorite topics. Um, keeping your code good quality, um, using the metrics, using the tests, all that good stuff. So we're going to dig deep into that tonight. Um, but first, there's one little... Um, one little thing I want to share with you guys, and that is that um, Andrew Mason today tweeted out about a teacher who is starting a, um, a, a her she's teaching a preschool class for special needs kids, and they didn't give her much money for supplies, so she put together a wish list on Amazon, and we're trying to see if we can get some people to. To help contribute and, and make that better so um if you're following us on twitter uh, i've got the link pinned on my on the twitter page uh, and then i've also just put the link in the chat if you want to go take a look at that um be a really good thing uh, she's getting a lot of support which is really really good but these kids you know need they need help so um that'd be great um before we get into the meat of tonight, which I'm really excited about, Creston, how was your week? Pretty hectic. <laughs> I was just I was just communicating before. It's like when I have longer running projects with different consulting clients, it's usually an easy week. But when I have clients that, hey, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, a little bit here, the context switching is just makes the week more stressful. Uh, although I did release a really good feature for my SaaS product of allowing volunteers to create their own fundraising pages. So that that was a good feature I was able to uh, deploy this week. What about you? Well, um, we had some hectic things and they were um, some of them were caused by the topic of tonight's show. There wasn't enough code quality uh, <laughs> checking and it bit us in the butt. Um, something I've been working on since I got to the company is kind of improving the, the code coverage, test coverage, and making sure things are are good and starting to refactor, you know, monolithic classes apart and things like that. Um, so we we kind of got bit. I, I was just doing an emergency release to production uh, not long before the show because we had a little little snafu there because an edge case got through that we hadn't thought to test um those are three words i don't like hearing emergency, emergency. production deploy <laughs> yeah i wasn't fond of it myself <laughs> so uh, it, this is actually a timely show because it's it's uh stuff i've been having to pay attention to really closely this week uh how about you ernesto yeah, um, well, happy to be here. I think uh, this week has been kind of all over the place. Uh, you know, I, I run a small software development shop and I wear multiple hats every every week. So this week in particular, I am here. So that's part of like uh, me just going out there and, you know, sharing some of the work that we are doing and some of the projects that we're launching. So I was in Drew Brack's uh, show on Monday. 
Yep. I think that will be released uh, in September. And we were talking a lot about Rails upgrades and uh, code quality and performance optimization and, and all that jazz. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I didn't get to touch a lot of code this week, but I did get to merge a couple pull requests that had been open for a few months cool. to open source, open source projects that I maintain. So that's always nice to go in and look at the PR and be like, yeah, this actually looks good. Sorry, it took so long. Merge it and just um, ship it. So yeah, I've been doing like a few little tiny things related to code these days. Cool. Yeah, it's it's. Uh, we were talking before the show. Seems like the further you get into senior development, the less development you actually get to do, which is sometimes can be kind of a bummer. But that's just the uh, part of the game, I guess. Um. All right. So, code quality. Um. So the first question. I, I've been a fan of Ruby Critic for well since just about since it came out. Um. I accidentally stumbled across it. And fell in love with it. So, um, one of the things I've been wanting to ask is why? Why did why did you do that? And should we <laughs> preface this that he came up with Ruby Critic first? Yeah, yeah. Um, no, I'll I'll be. I need to be one hundred percent honest. I did not create Ruby Critic. It was okay. someone else. So, okay. <laughs> I I did uh, volunteer to co-maintain it with their maintainers uh, a couple of years ago. And um, I mean, I love the project and I was um, trying to combine some of the metrics from Ruby Critic with uh, some of the metrics from SimpleCov. And I ended up creating a new project that extended Ruby Critic. Um, and then I made some contributions to the project and reached out to see if they needed help maintaining it. And they did. And usually th that's my experience in general. Like when you make a couple contributions to a project and then you reach out to them and you say, hey, do you need help like triaging issues or reviewing pull requests? Uh, usually people are really nice and open and they don't have a lot of time. So they always welcome help uh, on that front. So anyway, the, the guy who was maintaining it was like, yeah, sure. Um, I'm actually working with Go a lot more these days, so I don't work with Ruby so much. So now, and he was just like happy to add me as a maintainer there. Um, so anyway, yeah, that's that's how I ended up at, at the Ruby critic uh, maintaining uh, uh, maintainers group, I guess. Okay. And tell us a little bit about what got you into Ruby in the first place. Yeah, so I think many years ago, I was working with Java uh, back in the day when struts, struts and Wetworks was a thing. And I was trying to build web applications with Java. And anyway, it was it was hard. You know, it was like a lot of configuration, a lot of XML, um, and not so much Ruby or, or Java code back then. So... With my friends from from college, we wanted to start our own agency, and we had a client lined up that wanted us to do either Python or Ruby, so Django or Rails. 
And when we looked at the community, we really liked the Rails community. So we decided to go with Ruby on Rails. And yeah, the rest of this is history. That was about 13 years ago. Um, so we started using Rails. And at first, I hated it. I got to be honest. Like, I hated the magic. I was like, wait, how is this working? Like, I just typed two commands and it's working. Like, where's all the configuration? I was like, no, well, there are all these conventions that Ruby or Rails uh, has. So anyway, that's how all the magic works in, in Rails. And in retrospect, I think I, I would have liked to learn Ruby first and maybe Sinatra um, and then learn Rails. But I did it like the wrong way. I learned Rails first and then Ruby. And now, anyway. <laughs> well, then I've been doing it the wrong way for years. Oh, me too. <laughs> <laughs> Good, good. I'm not the only one. Nope. I started down the Rails rabbit hole long before I got to the Ruby one. So, yeah, cool. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, yeah. So, and then tell me a little bit about because from what I've been reading and seeing in the, the in Twitter and things like that, um, you're kind of the, the go to guy for code quality discussions. Um, what, what got you kind of into that? Yeah, um, I I don't know to be honest. <laughs> okay, no, I know, I know. Okay, I know how to answer that question. <laughs> so about five years ago, we did a Rails upgrade for one of our clients, and we thought, oh, this is cool, and it's like a formula that we can apply to other clients. So. We decided to launch this productized service called uh, FastRuby.io. So, you know, people might be familiar with some of our guides or articles and all that. Um, so, we needed a way to quickly assess whether we wanted to work on a project or not. And we needed a way to quickly say, yeah, this project is ready for an upgrade, or now nah, if we do this upgrade project, we're going to be. Um, we're gonna be in a mess. We're gonna be in, you know, the the little dog in the this is fine meme. Basically, <laughs> we don't wanna be we don't wanna be that meme. So that happened. It happened a couple of times. And then we needed to come up with like a quick way to say, hey, this project is a good project or not. So we started researching on code quality and we really like code climate for sure. We still use it to this day. But uh, we really like Ruby Critic because it was open source. Uh, it was very transparent, and we could, you know, quickly understand like how the grading system worked and all that. So then um, we started researching other code quality tools like Metric Foo. We ended up maintaining that project too. Uh, to be honest, like some of the code quality Ruby gems that are out there have been abandoned for a few years now. And we basically came came around and reached out to the maintainers and we were like, hey, seems like you're not, maybe you don't have the time or you lost the interest in working on this project. So we're happy to help maintaining it. And that's basically how we ended up maintaining like a bunch of Ruby gems. Um, another one is Rails stats, which is, kind of like the native rake stats that Rails provides, but um, you don't need to bundle the application to actually run it. So that can be very handy sometimes. Um, but anyway, 
that's how we ended up like maintaining a bunch of code quality tools uh, because we end up using them when we assess a code base to say like, yeah, this project is in good shape. We want to work on the upgrade project. Or we say, hey, uh, you should probably improve your test suite before we work on your project. And probably means if you don't do it, we don't want to work with you because you, you know, it's just going to be nightmarish. <laughs> I don't want to say it, but it's likely that you don't really care about the tests and that that's just kind of like a symptom of a bigger problem in the organization. Right. All right. So, and chat. Hello. How are, how's everybody doing tonight? Um, we are very glad that you're here and I really hope that you brought some questions, uh, because this is the time to ask them. Um, so what I, what I want to do now is you guys just fire away with any of your questions or comments that you have in the chat. Um, I'll kind of moderate that. And Ernesto, I'm going to just kind of put you on a free form track here. What would you like to tell people about code quality? Um, yeah, that's a great question. I think, um, I think test, you know, test first or having a good test suite is super important, not just because it will save you from shipping things that are going to break and they're going to wake you up in the middle of the night because <laughs> it broke. Um, but so, so if you learn anything today is that you need to invest in your test suite and you need to invest every week a little bit in your test suite and improving it and maintaining it. And that's going to pay off uh, in dividends, like in the future. When Virtual high five. See, yeah, yeah. I told you. <laughs> <laughs> if, um, like, if you're going to upgrade a gem, it's going to help you. If you want to refactor, it's going to help you. Um, it's just uh, a safety net that we we want to have every time we are working with a code base and we're there for long haul. And how do you how do you kind of view the tests in relation to importance to the code? What's kind of your time split on working on those things? Yeah, I think um I think I would rather have a good a really good test suite and a very complex code base um than you know very simple code but with no tests i think that's that's as much as i i care about the tests these days um and in terms of the uh, i i really like tdd i don't do it religiously uh, i don't advise people to do it religiously sometimes you need to play with the interface see how it works uh, do some manual qa that's super helpful sometimes but when you can't do TED, I would recommend that you do it. It makes you think in a different way, it makes you think about the edge cases before you even write the code. And then it can help you write even better code or, or code that it's easier to test because um, you wrote the test first. Yeah. Oh, I certainly agree with that. I've been I've been on my soapbox about TDD and importance of tests almost every episode. Um, so yeah, I mean I'm you and I are squarely in the same camp, which is great. Um, and so now now Creston has to say like, no, the test suite sucks. I don't do TDD ever. It's a stupid practice. What are, what are you guys thinking? 
No. I mean, the reality <laughs> is if you want your system to go down or have severe bugs, then don't do tests. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So pretty, it's like pretty much it. Yeah, because or have super high anxiety because if you're gonna go in and change a piece of code that doesn't have tests against it, you're you're rolling the dice. You're asking to never sleep again. Yeah, and, and we still find um teams out there and organizations that do not believe that you know investing in, in the test suite, uh, investing time in the test suite is a good investment. Um sometimes we pitch our potential clients like, hey, we can't work on the upgrade, but maybe we can work four weeks on improving your test suite, comparing your most uh, used code to your test suite and seeing like, hey, you're really using all these actions and there's no code coverage for it. So maybe we can write tests for this and prioritize the code that is used a lot, but uh, is not really tested in every single PR that you want to merge. Out of curiosity, what tool do you use to track like which particular, what are the hot spots of the code? What's being used a lot, like in terms of controllers or models or, or what tool do you use to do that? Yeah, so you can use just an APM like uh, New Relic, okay, uh, any Skylight. Of okay. Or yep. um, another way to go about it would be to use a gem uh, called CoverBand. Um, it's basically, it's like simple cough, but instead of using the test suite to tell you which actions are getting hit, it's using production, uh, usage. So you install the gem, you run it in production for a week, and then it basically generates like a simple cough report that tells you, you know, 90% of the code was hit in production this week. There's 10% of this code that was not used. And then you can find candidates for um, dead code. <laughs> and then you can say like, hey, are we actually using this action? Because it didn't get used in a whole week. Uh, maybe we can remove it. Um, so those are the two ways I would recommend. Okay. All right. So um, chat, don't forget, you've got a big brain here on this stuff. So if you're wanting to learn, now's the time to ask questions. Um, so th there's there's a lot of tools out there for code quality stuff, right? And I know we've got some people in the chat and, and that listen to the show that are that are kind of just getting into the Ruby sphere and, and development sphere in general. Um, what would you say to those younger folks, the folks starting out, about how to how to get involved and, and get your head around code quality and what to do with it. Yeah, I think um, I think there are some really great articles out there um, about code quality. Uh, if you read uh, if you've read anything by Michael Feathers or Sandy Metz, you've um, basically gotten an introduction to code quality. Um, and maintainable code. Um, one of the concepts that I really love is this idea of like churn versus complexity. So let's say you inherit a code base and you're trying to figure out like, okay, is this in good shape? What's going on with this? Um, if you can use Ruby Critic, it's very easy to, you know, gem install Ruby Critic, Ruby Critic, you know, app or whatever, and it will generate a report um, for you. 
Oh, uh, Chris, do you want to pull that up? Awesome. Yeah, so I think this is awesome because it's a dashboard that gives you an idea of what the project is like. Um, when you look at the upper right uh, section, you're going to see the churn versus complexity graph. So basically, like files that change a lot have high churn, and files that are hard to maintain are very complex. So when you find the dots that are like high churn, high complexity, that's going to point you in a direction that says these are files that probably don't have a, a lot of quality. They're changing a lot, they're super complex, and you might want to be careful if you're going to be touching those files. Um, wow, okay. Seems like you run this in a project that doesn't have uh, code coverage data. Uh, one of my first contributions for Ruby Critic was to add a fourth section called co coverage. Um, so I guess this is some sort of magic there. But if you run the test suite with coverage uh, or simple cloud enabled, it's going to generate a bunch of files in your directory. Ruby Critic can detect those files and it can add a fourth section to this report that says uh, code coverage. And anyway, something, some sort of homework for your audience is to run Ruby Critic with an app with code coverage data or without, and they'll see that section. Right. Um, but anyway, going back to the original question, I think it's very useful to look at this report and see like that pie graph tells you, okay, most of the files are an A, a B, or a C. Um, for non-US people, that means you know that's uh, it's the A to F grading system. So you so you get an idea. A is good, F is bad. So there you can see that probably like twelve percent of the files are an F, but everything else seems to be in pretty good shape. Um. So yeah, I think churn versus complexity, the, the moment that I learned about that, I was like, oh, that's so interesting. Because yeah, if, if you work, worked in a project for a long time, then there's a lot of history and you can learn from your history and the files and what it looks like right now to be careful as you start making changes in a code base that you don't know. Yeah, and I'll tell you, when I started using things like Ruby Critic, I was pretty much just concentrating here the grading stuff, which is good to know, but I didn't really understand this graph, the, the churn versus complexity graph. When I finally understood what this meant and what it was showing me, it made a huge difference in how fast I could target things that needed help. It's just, look in this quadrant up here, that's probably where you want to start looking. Um, you know, all, all everything else, could use some help, but this is probably the best bang for your buck. Just look at this quadrant and pick the things in here if you want yeah. to do refactoring. Um, yeah, yeah. And and this is fun. And for people who just want to have some time to kill and to do research, they can go and run uh, Ruby Critic on their libraries. You know, like you can go and run it on Rails. You can run it on Sinatra, Hanami, whatever. And you know, you can find opportunities to refactor code and see how you can improve one of the libraries that you use every day. Right, because it'll come through and tell you about smells and things that it finds, and it's really easy to set up and run. So 
even if you're not in a production environment, looking at this is really going to help you understand how a code system is coming together uh, and where where you're going to have issues. Um, yeah. And and this, uh, what I love about Ruby Critic um, is that it combines a bunch of gems that have been around for, you know, 12 plus years, uh, like Flog, um, Reek, um, Churn, and it combines everything into this idea of uh, the cost, the cost of a file to be maintained. Um, so when when you we're talking about cost for a file, it's usually like a sum of the smells, so the code smells in a file, and the flock score. And the flock score comes from like assignment, branches, and calls. Um, so I don't know. I just love that someone thought about this and created it and combined all the data. Um, what I needed when I was starting to work and learn about this was, um, or I had this idea of combining code coverage data with the cost of maintenance of a file and basically adding like a, a fourth or third dimension to say a file can be like super complex, has, has been changing a lot and uh, it's very poorly co covered. So it has a test, but it doesn't, it only covers like 20% of the code. So basically it's like, if you're gonna go touch that file, <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. You're probably you're gonna have a rough week, rough month because what you're changing is not tested and it's super complex. So and that's where skunk comes in, right? Yeah, and that's uh skunk is basically that it combines um all those factors that I just mentioned and it produces like a little terminal table there. Um so quick warning, it is still pre 1.0 so it's going to change in before 1.0 but one of the things that i want to do when we get to 1.0 is to put um a to f grade in every file uh, so that it's easier for people to understand like the files at the top are an f the ones at the bottom are an a and all that i will tell you that i started using skunk a few months ago um because i I understood right away that concept of, yeah, looking at the churn complexity graph tells you things to target, but there's some things in there that you probably want to be careful of. So, I, you know, Skunk actually a week after I started using it saved me from potentially making a huge mistake, getting ready to refactor a, um, a, a file that was way up in that quadrant that needed some work but it only had 20% test coverage. So when I used Skunk, it was like, uh, you probably don't want to do this yet. <laughs> you want to work on your tests first. So that's it, great. It was I, useful. I love to hear that. I think as, <laughs> I think you probably talked about this with Chris in the last episode, but it's hard to get these sort of stories from people, like unless they come to me at a after a talk or after a conference from people to say like, oh yeah, I used the app and it saved me some time and it actually made me rethink refactoring that file. I wrote tests for it. Um, but yeah, I, I'd love to hear that story. Thanks for sharing. Oh, sure. Well, this, this yeah, stuff, can... sorry, go ahead. So I was just saying, 
you know, these tools I think are really great for espousing code quality and the need for different things to your managers as well as potential clientele if you're like a consultant. Because, you know, you can take a look at the code and if your manager says, what do you need? What do you need this for? You can actually say, well, look at the numbers here. We've got this file that is super complex that has super low test coverage. If I start changing it, it's going to have wide impacts in the application, potentially cause downtime. That's why I need a little bit more time to add tests to it so that now I can safely make changes to this you know, code without impacting anything. And also clearly if you're a consultant, you can communicate, I'm sure it helps you like in your practice to communicate to the client. This is why we need to add these tests before we start the upgrade process. Yeah, yeah. And like um, as a consultant, <laughs> I think it gives us uh, more tools to communicate with our clients. Um, you know, at the end of the day, this is all open source, so I'm not making sh stuff up. <laughs> Let's yeah, say. yeah. Uh, but you know, yeah, it's, it's common for a consultant to come in and say, like, "Oh no, the previous consultant was terrible, was doing things all wrong, and just like you know, kind of like pile on the the previous developer." I don't like that, to be honest. But I, I like to to give it. Um, I, I like the transparency of something like this or code climate, uh, the visual parts as well of, of Ruby Critic, of saying, "Hey, I'm not. It's not just my expert opinion. There are many tools out there that do static code analysis and all that, and I can tell you that you know you have a hundred files and twenty of them are, are an F uh, and then you have like zero test suite, no code coverage. You're not running your test suite in every PR. Um, and there are a bunch of things that are wrong here, but I like to back it up with like science or, or at least like a formula that is openly available and anybody can open it and, and see what it's doing. Out of curiosity, so just to take a devil's advocate position for a moment, is there anything being reported in terms of complexity that's from the different tools like Flog or Reek or whatever that you actually disagree with? Like for example, this particular thing where methods cannot be longer than, you know, they shouldn't be longer than a certain number of lines or, or something, anything like that. Is there anything that you actually disagree with some of the standards that some of these other gems? Yeah. Have? Yeah, yeah, I I disagree with a lot of those uh, rules. I I hate them sometimes. I hate <laughs> Rubocop. I hate Reek <laughs> many times, and I'm like, um, I, I'm gonna disable this rule, you know, because I don't think that's the the way to go. Um, so what I like to say, and when I'm talking about code quality, is that um, code quality in a code base is an understanding um, that the team has about code quality. So all of these tools that are out there are easy to configure. So you can disable the rules that you don't agree with, and you can basically tweak the idea of code quality, and you can agree as a team to be like, hey, let's have a conversation about this rule. I think it's kind of silly. I actually want us to embrace this other form, um, which is not the default that Rubocop um, you know, tells us. 
And, you know, if everybody comes to an agreement, great. Uh, you can all kind of like own the, the code quality of the, the code base. Um, I think that there has to be a conversation though. It can't be like, oh, there's one person and we're going to do what the thing that that one person is saying. Uh, I think it has to be a conversation and it has to be written um, in the configuration of this these tools, whether it's Freak or Rubicop or whatever. And if there is even like a, kind of like an architecture record or a decision record that's easily easy to find for the project where it's like, hey, we discussed this, we agreed this configuration was better if we disabled it. So we're gonna go with this um, with it this way. So yeah, I think um, I think there are a lot of rules out there that I don't agree with. And if I'm working on a code base, I'm probably gonna disable some of the, the rules that are out there. Okay. So chat, I, I know I'm I've been kind of negligent in, in looking at you lately, but I'm so excited about this talk. I'm just kind of getting lost in it. So uh, let's let's take a break for chat. Um, Colin asked, do you have any sort of guidelines that you follow, like the Sandy Metz rules? Okay, yeah. Um, in terms of guidelines, um, oh, it, I, that could be like very broad, but and anything specific. I'll just start answering and saying that I like to go from uh, process to first and then look at the code quality. So when I'm looking at a code base, I like to talk to the team and try to understand how they ship code. So we still meet every now and then some teams that are not uh, running the test suite in every PR, like they are not familiar with CI. and you know, it happens. <laughs> there are a lot of teams out there. But anyway, one thing that I like to understand first is like, okay, how does a change make it from idea to production? And then I try to understand like, if they're using best practices, like they're submitting a pull request, they are um, making sure that the test suite passes, they're making sure that there's smoke testing and everything is working. And then they're shipping things to production quickly and not just like batching a big release every month. Uh, I like teams that are shipping things like every day or merging and shipping things all the time. Um, and then once I'm happy with the process uh, or I make the suggestions about the process, then I try to dig deeper a little bit in the code base. Um, I look at the test suite. I use simple cough. Um, I make sure that they have um, some, every time they submit a pull request, they're also submitting tests. Uh, the code coverage percentage is not getting lower and lower with every pull request. Uh, that kind of tells me a little bit about like the practice and the culture of the tech team. Um, another thing, once I learn all those things, I, I then I look at Ruby critic and I like to look at the churn versus complexity graph. Um, I like to use skunk as well because it combines, you know, the code quality metrics with the code coverage metrics. Um, and yeah, before I suggest anything, I like to have as much data as possible to back it up. And sometimes it's, well, most of the time it's useful to have visual aids because at the end of the day, the tech team usually understands what you're saying as an engineer, but 
the non-technical manager that's managing the technical team has to understand too and understand like what the consequences are of continuing with a poor uh, process and a poor culture. And yeah, I, I'm still getting better at it. I'm still getting uh, better at communicating to non-technical people, but I feel like with with everybody here, I'm, I'm good at communicating like the technical metrics and all that. But when it comes to like talking to non-technical people, I'm not I'm not that good at saying like, hey, if you continue like this, people are going to burn out. People are going to leave. Nobody likes to work with Rails 2.3 when Rails 7.1 <laughs> is out. So think about the consequences. Think about you know, people are going to leave and your development team churn is going to be higher if you don't upgrade than if you do upgrade. So if you need to upgrade, then maybe you need to work on your test suite. And hopefully someday I'll be good at communicating this and explaining how everything connects. And if you want to have a successful business, you have to have a healthy tech team and culture. Yeah, I found one of the one of the key selling points for the non-tech folks uh, when you're trying to get them to think about upgrades and stuff is if you don't keep up with your upgrades, you're exposing your business to very serious security risks um, and and exposure to lawsuits and, and all kinds of problems. So, you know, co covering the CVEs is really important for business. So, um, but you're right. That is a that is a tough conversation because most of the time the non-technical people, you know, the sales and the marketing side and the the C-suite folks, are more more focused on what can we ship, what can we sell, what can make the the profit for the company, uh, and they're not thinking about yeah, but the the developers are blowing their minds because they can't wrap their heads around this complex mess that we've got. And every time we ask them to change something, they've got three weeks of sleepless nights because they don't have any tests to make sure that things are good. So it's a tough conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, that's a good point. I think in terms of security, that seems to be the main driver these days. Um, I can't really say names, but we get contacted by public companies every month saying hey we're running this version of rails and we need to pass this pci compliance test oh no and it's like <laughs> good luck can you can you upgrade us from rails 4.2 to rails 7.1 in a month like <laughs> no sorry well yes if your program is hello world probably Right. Yes, but there are six or seven zeros attached to that number. Yeah, <laughs> not even all the money in the world, you know, because it would be like committing to shipping an impossible project. Because the companies that reach out to us, as I said, you know, they're public. They've been running this for ten plus years, and it's been working. You know, it's been working. It's legacy mm. code. I like to think of legacy code as a, a great thing. It's serving its purpose. It's making the company money. But, you know, you, you should have been investing in paying off this technical debt every month in the past 10 years. And no, you didn't. You prioritize shipping features, shipping bugs, uh, shipping bug fixes too. Um and if then you, you can't pay me you, now or pay me later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh 
so yeah, then then we do end up working on projects that are multi-million dollar projects that are upgrade projects for huge monoliths. Um, but yeah, some some clients want the impossible, and we can't we can't promise that. Well, and I think too, by the time that non-technical people notice the symptoms of uh, technical debt building up it's usually too late to do anything about it at that point in a cost-effective way. I mean, you're, you're so far down the track of technical debt by the time non-technical people are seeing the problems from it that it's, it's really hard to recover at that point. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so one of the things that I was, I was kind of interested in too, I've been thinking about this for a while, uh, just curious, and since you talk to a lot more people about this stuff than than I ever have, um, what what is kind of your sense of in, in the development community how how many people are on the TDD bus and how many people are really anti-test? Mm, that's a good question. Um... I want to say most of our clients are on the TDD bus. Uh, most of the companies that we talk to and we don't end up working with because of technical reasons is because they don't see the value in tests. So um, they probably don't allow their programmers to spend the time writing the tests or maintaining the test suite. They're just like, no, you need to ship this fast. You need to ship it tomorrow. And I don't want you to work on and tests. That takes more time, so don't do it. So unfortunately, there are a lot of people out there that are like that. And yeah, it's it sucks. You know, if you are a developer, an engineer who's in a team like that, um, you probably need to find another job. You know, we're hiring. <laughs> so uh, if you're interested in technical debt, you know, check out our, our website or find another company that really cares about that, that sort of stuff. Um, because something like that, it's like a culture problem and it's not going to change if they just switch the manager. Hopefully it does, but sometimes there are like non-technical managers that just don't get it. And, and anyway, they kind of create this toxic culture and we usually don't work with those clients. Have you ever had any success, and I mean, no naming of names, but taking a, a company who was really kind of, eh, tests, we don't care, to, oh, yeah, we see the value now? No, I haven't. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I'm not a great salesperson. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm an engineer, and as I said, I'm still working on, on improving my, my sales skills to say, Hey, you should be writing more tests. You should be doing TDD. Um, and I, I think I need to focus on on the the benefits at a business level, as in, you know, turnaround of your engineering team is going to go down. Um, velocity is going to go down. You're going to ship things faster. Instead of taking two weeks, you're going to take hopefully two days, three days. Um, you're going to be less exposed to risks to... CVEs to security vulnerabilities uh, because you're going to be, you know, testing a lot more and you're going to be testing better and you're going to come up with better CI tools that will, you know, look for vulnerabilities in your code. Um, 
but no, I, I'm not that good at, at selling that. I've actually, I always tell my friends that I, I try, you know, I try <laughs> to say, Hey, uh, your test suite is not good. We can't work on your upgrade project. We're happy to improve the test suite and bring you up to like 50% code coverage, but it's going to cost you four weeks and it's going to, you know, at the end of the day, you get code that's going to help your test suite get better. But I never converted anything like that. Nobody ever took me up on that offer. <laughs> I'll let you know once that happens. Uh... <laughs> that, that'd be interesting to hear. Yeah, because I've always wondered how, you know, kind of how how entrenched that thinking is, that anti-test thinking, um, especially from the business side of things, because I know they see it as just a money sink. Um, mm -hmm. So, yeah, I, I, something I'd be interested to follow up on. Um, so what what would you say to the engineering side of folks, especially new engineers that are coming in, what are the benefits of paying attention to code quality and test coverage and, you know, that, that area of your job? Yeah, I think um, one of the benefits is that you can write code that it's easier to change. You know, um, when you ship a feature, you try, you know, we, we've all done that where we try to make it cool or we try to make it magic and because we're just trying to implement like this pattern that we learned about and stuff. But at the end of the day, you'll learn within your career is that if you can write it as, as simple as possible, even if it's not super performant, even if it's not, um, even if it takes like more files to, to ship it, if you can, if you can make it as, um, anyway, as simple as possible, and if you can write tests, and if the tests are easy to write, um, then you're on a good on the good track. Because next time you need to make a change to it, you can go back to it like a year or two years after you wrote it, read it, and be like, oh, okay, yeah, there's not that much magic here. I understand what I did. I see the test suite. I see that I tested the the and the edge cases. And now I just need to change it to meet another business requirement. So um, I think simplicity is, is the key there. It's like to, to try to, so all these Ruby gems will help you achieve something like that and will we'll guide you. I really like Rake in a way because you can run Rake on your code and it will tell you, it'll compare your code to a database of known code smells. It will tell you like, hey, you have these code smells in here. So you might wanna change it so it doesn't have them. And another thing that you will learn is like about code smells because um, I, I don't even know all the code smells that are out there. You know, yeah. I will go and run rake on my code and I'll learn a little bit about it. So if you want to, to get better at writing simple code, I would recommend using something like Reek to guide you in the process. That's Reek R E E K, not Rake R A K E. Oh yeah, yeah. Reek R E E K. <laughs> right. Yeah. That is what you're talking about, right? Yes. 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 <laughs> um. So yeah. Um. So um, I I 
I'm wondering too, um, what kind of benefits that you would see for kind of senior level programmers paying attention to this stuff. So for, for junior level guys, it's really good for learning, uh, discovering code, learning how to write better code. What benefits can the senior level um, developers pull from things like this? I think it's it's the same. You know, it's like um, sometimes as a senior, sometimes you think that you're writing something that doesn't have any code smells. And I still <laughs> write code that has a ton of code smells. And I think I think you can learn a lot even as a senior developer uh, using these tools. Another thing that you could learn um, from Skunk is like, um, I really like this one actually. Uh, there's a way to use Skunk to compare um, your branch against main or so you can actually compare it and see if you're adding a lot more um, smells or, or are you adding, are you making the project better or worse? Right. Uh, usually, you know, you'll, you'll see that the skunk score is probably going to go up a little bit because you are adding complexity if you're adding a feature. Um, but hopefully you're also adding like uh, enough tests to, to cover your new feature. Uh, another thing that I think is useful for any developer at any level is to have some sort of threshold for the test suite to say, if you're adding a feature, if you're changing something, if you're fixing a bug, um, sometimes in some projects, what I like to do is to add some sort of uh, configuration to the test suite that says like, if you are decreasing code uh, coverage in the test suite, um, it won't let you merge it. It will just say like, hey, you are adding uh, adding this code as dropping the test suite per, uh, percentage from like 75 to like 74.5. So maybe don't do that. Um, so that's that's one piece of advice for senior developers. Yeah. Um, and I know, so what is kind of your rule of thumb percentage goal for... Um, for your test coverage? I, I mean, I know every project is a unique thing, but do you have kind of a rule of thumb, like I want to hit 80% or try to hit around 80% or something? Um, I think any anywhere uh, north of 70% is, is good. I mean, yeah, maybe getting past 80%, getting past 90% is, is good, but... I don't think people should strive to have 100% code coverage. Um, maybe if you're building a rocket ship, yes. <laughs> if you're building a medical device, yes. If it's going to be used uh, on me, please test it 100%. Yes, please. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if you're just building a web app, a SaaS, I think it's okay to have 70%. Um, I think if you're south of 50 percent i'd say you're in trouble and you should probably invest more more time improving the test suite um but yeah i think that's that's usually what i i like to see like more than 70 percent um because oh yeah go ahead sorry i i have an interesting counter to that so 
just as to play devil's advocate. So if you're a developer and you need to go in and add a new feature and where you're adding the code to, the code coverage is 20%, even though the overall project is 80%. Are you really comfortable with your section that you need to start changing is only at 20%? Because I know I'd, I'd be like, well, I need to, <laughs> even though the project's pretty high, the part I need to go change, I actually want test coverage for that to be pretty high. Well, yeah, I guess it depends on the file. Like, let's say it's a controller and a Rails app, and it's like 20%, but you need to change only one action. Then I would just focus on the action and say, um, you know, okay, yeah, what is the code coverage percentage for the action? It's like, well, it's nothing, it's zero. <laughs> so to take it from zero to something, I think it's very powerful. Um, but yeah, I, I advise against adding test suite for other things that you're not supposed to be touching. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I'm the, I have gotten in trouble in the past for spending way too much time trying to improve the code when I was just supposed to ship a feature. So I'm, I'm also not a, not a good, uh, example there like i will usually take my sweet time to improve the code base even if i'm supposed to just like move a controller action from one controller to another yeah i, I guess that that's a good point to also you know you got to consider what kind of developer you are because some people just they like building all the new things and want to build the feature and get the feature out and get that because i think to a certain extent like releasing a new feature and having customers like my SaaS say, oh, this is so great, this is so awesome. You, you literally get a dopamine hit from that. Whereas if I'm developing more tests that they'll never see, and that doesn't do anything for me. Whereas maybe other developers, maybe more so like yourself, you get, you know, you get that dopamine, you like the fact that, oh, things are so ordered now and now everything's nice and test covered and and, and things mm -hmm. like that. So I think like in my case, maybe some, depending on the developer, maybe there's, they need to lean more towards paying attention to the tests and less the features and maybe some other developers more to the features and less the tests. Yeah, I I guess I, I I've been working with legacy code for for a long time, and I think yeah, when when you're building something new like SaaS and you're maybe experimenting with a feature, trying to see like if people are even going to use it or not, or if it's going to add the value that you think it is, then yeah, I I don't know. There is an exception there where it's like, well, I don't even know if this feature is going to be around for more than a month. So I don't know, maybe you don't want to invest a ton of time in that test. Um, but when I go into a project, usually it's because we're upgrading um, dependencies. So we're trying to just make sure that the code runs in two different versions of Rails. Um, sometimes we get engaged, uh, we get client engagements that are about uh, improving their monoliths and maybe breaking it down into like smaller components, uh, like using component-based Rails architecture or something like that to make it easier to maintain. So 
we do have to move a bunch of files around to make it sure that it's easier to to maintain. Um, one thing that I tell my team is that, you know, we usually want to follow the the Boy Scout rule to make sure that we leave things better than how we found them. So if we see that we're moving some file or some action from one controller to another, and we see the opportunity to make it slightly better because I don't know, we could add a guard clause or whatever, or make the code easier to read if we just restructured it, I would advise to, to make it so. Um, but yeah, before I refactor anything, I would make sure that it is covered by some sort of test. And what's yeah, your- I, I, I tend to use the Hippocratic oath, first do no harm. <laughs> so I want to add the tests in before I go and change the code and for someone's code base. Uh, so what is your what is your tool of choice for uh, code coverage? Uh, so we're, we are using SimpleCov, um, and I, I really like it. One thing that's a little uh, a little buggy in Skunk is that I integrate it with SimpleCov, but I use internal files. <laughs> so not a good idea to use like an internal file that it's not supposed to be used for uh, publicly. I did that. So anyway, I didn't know that. I didn't know it at the time. I thought that that file was just like, oh, I could just read this file and do things with it, get the data, the coverage data for every file and com you know, compare it to the complexity and all that. But um, they recently added, I think they recently added branch uh, coverage. So yes. every time you see a condition, right, you can know like whether the entire condition or all the possibilities of the condition were run or or executed or not. Um, so anyway, I was using this file and the guy who was maintaining it was like, yeah, you shouldn't be using this file because it's gonna change because we're adding branch coverage to SimpleCop. And uh, anyway, I had to do some hacky stuff for Skunk to work with different versions of, of SimpleCop. Um, but anyway, fun. The, the fun joys stuff. of OSS, huh? Yeah. <laughs> OSS moves fast. And uh, anyway, I, I really like Simple Cup. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, if you're, you're already into this stuff, great. If you're not into this stuff, uh, Ruby Critic, Simple Cup, Skunk. That's where I would start. That mm -hmm. sound good to you? Yeah, for sure. And, um, I know we only touched a little bit on code quality, but um, I know there are other things that you could be doing to improve your code quality. And one of the things that you could do is also like work on performance optimization. Um, so I just wanted to uh, talk a little bit about like a new audit that we came up with in yeah. FastRuby.io. Um, we actually partnered with uh, Nate Berkopek, who is kind of the Rails performance guy out there. And um, he helped us come up with this idea of a performance audit. We're calling it Tune Report. And um, anyway, we recently launched it about a month ago and we're trying to help clients who are having like slow endpoints and slow actions in their applications to get better and to get better performance. So. 
if you're interested in performance optimization, uh, we're going to be creating a bunch of content about that in the next few months. So feel free to you know follow our blog or Twitter account. And that's the one on FastRuby.io? Yeah, FastRuby.io slash blog for the blog or slash tune for the performance audit. Tune, you said? Tune, yeah. T-U-N-E. Right. Awesome. Well, I'll be looking at that. Hadn't heard about that yet, so. Yeah, happy to talk about it or, you know, on Twitter, feel free to DM me and we can talk a little bit more about that. Um, yeah, and honestly, oh my gosh, I do this every time we have a guest. I have so much fun talking to the guests and learning so much that I completely lose track of time. And we are we are past our time. So as much as I'd love to spend another two hours talking to you, um, you have to let the audience go. Um, okay. But what I would like to do is is try to get you back on the show at some point and, and have some further discussions about code quality and uh, particularly about Tune after I've had a, a chance to, to take a peek at it. I'm very interested in the performance stuff. Um, but we thank you so much for being on the show with us. Uh, taking time out of your schedule. Uh, I know that you're busy, yeah. but but being here and talking to us has been a big thrill for us. Uh, I hope it's been wonderful for the audience as well. I know that I learned quite a few things tonight, and I'm very interested to learn some more. Um, but yeah, thank you. so much. Thank you so much for being with us. Uh, chat, thank you, as always, for being here. Um, we, we love it when you guys come and participate. It makes us... Uh, feel all loved and warm and, and fuzzy and stuff. Uh, so that's always good. Um, if you did enjoy this, please make sure and like, subscribe. Uh, the best thing you can do to help the channel is tell your lovely friends about us and bring them next time. Uh, we're here every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. Eastern on both Twitch and YouTube. Uh, you can also follow us on Twitter at Ducky Dev Show uh, and see all my bad tweeting habits um you know that what are you gonna do um but we hope you guys enjoyed that i really did and i'm very thankful for ernesto and all of our guests uh next week we will continue the awesome august guest list with aaron francis he's going to be talking about his experiences with live coding uh so that'll be an interesting and fun show um so, Is he going to live code during the stream? <laughs> gosh, I don't know. Live coding on the live show. Oh, it's like liveception or something. Um, but anyway, <laughs> we will see you guys next week, Wednesday at 8, 8 p.m., Twitch and YouTube. Uh, please reach out to me on Twitter. Love to talk to you guys. And until next week, Happy coding. Happy coding. Happy coding. Happy coding.